Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have a special interview podcast for you this week to supplement the two divisional previews that we already have in the books. This is not a this is not a mistake. This is by design your third deep dive podcast of the week. Uh, we're going to do this throughout the rest of the month of August and potentially, probably, likely through the regular season where we bring in someone we especially want to talk to, pick their brain, get their thoughts. Uh, on NFL-related topics and uh, do an interview with them towards the end of the week after we've covered you know, our own perspective on uh, betting the games. And uh, this week, first time doing this, we welcome back friend of the pod, Adam Chernoff. Welcome back to the Deep Dive. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I think my intro is upgraded. Now I got the special terminology. I think it was much less, much less uh, complimentary in the, in the two yeah. previous visits to the show. But glad to be here with you guys after um you guys had a pretty yeah. eventful off season to say the least yeah it has it's uh this has been a this has been a very very um you know very positive very uh outstanding growth year of growth for the deep dive podcast and for our ability as gamblers we appreciate all of the guests that we've had throughout the year uh and uh going back through the 180 or so episodes we've had you've been one of the most interesting folks we've had uh, conversations with and you know for those who don't already know Adam check him out at Adam Chernoff on uh, Twitter and you have some incredible articles that are absolutely evergreen that yeah. you wrote years and years ago that I still reference from time to time you have uh, a story and a you know a history in this space that is just among one of the most interesting and, and outrageous stories from beginning to end uh, we should link back of, so. to the the other ones that we did yeah, at the them. end of the year like, when, when we post this one but we'll yeah, definitely we will definitely um, link back to the the long the long form interview we did with adam where he tells quite a few yeah. stories those are pretty good yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then yeah i mean just uh, an aside right before we started recording what we were talking about and i hate <laughs> it i hate promoting another podcast because this is you should just be listening to the deep dive on repeat but i i I can't not because I'm a listener. I listen to every one of these. Adam does his uh, his morning. I can't even think of the name of it. The just simple handicap. I don't need to know the name of it. What is Adam? Yeah, the simple handicap. There we go. Oh, these are great. Yeah, they're like they're just, they're just ten to fifteen minutes long in the morning. They're really good. Ton of information packed in there. And yep. yeah, like like I was saying, and whale too. Like we listen to these every day. Adam does a real good job on those. I love them. Yep. Yep. It'll change the way you kind of think about the NFL handicapping space because it's not like look at, these wild, look at these wild trends it's entirely focused on what you should be focused on which is the uh, the evolution of the market from the beginning of the week to sunday yes. uh and uh yeah it's part of my daily routine all through the fall last year it was fantastic having that to listen to in my car ride in the morning so good job by you can't wait for uh for yeah. the continued success of the simple handicap um but uh in your prep you sent us some of the stuff you were working on. Uh, you gave us some very, very nice inside looks at, uh, you know, kind of your process in terms of curating uh, your priors for teams heading into this season. And it was awesome, I got to say. Um, can you shed a little bit of light on people who don't know this sort of thing already? Like, what is your process for the offseason? And, and how do you kind of qualify information that is um, just noise versus what is actionable? Um, I, to be honest, I don't really want to go forward. Let's just stop the podcast. I think everything <laughs> up to this point was pretty. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, you guys are being a little bit nice there. But um, just to return, I think you guys, as I said the last two times, put together some of the most genuine content. And I think that's why you, the show's growing as quickly as it is. And, and we all love listening uh, multiple times per week. So now that we've got the, the pleasantries out of the way, uh, we can dive into... <laughs> dive into football but nonetheless a ton of mutual respect um i guess my process has sort of changed over the last this will be year 13 i went back and looked to see when the first time i i posted anything about football and it was on an ancient forum post which probably isn't around in 2007 so this will be year 13 um the five i was bookmaking in other parts of the world were were very specific but since that all sort of i moved away from that industry in 2015 the last three or four seasons i felt that there was a lot of waste um i was doing a lot of time sort of always being on to an extent with football and whether 
was going through the signings and the new coordinators and coaches in January and February and the wrap up of the season and then working through OTAs in the spring and then camp in August, I always got to the point where it would be September 7th or 6th or whenever the, the the league starts every year in the first weekend of September. And I always felt like really underprepared or there were just lots of little things that I would see after a couple of weeks of betting and go, I was stupid to miss that or, or I should have been on top of that quicker than I was. Um, and that's led the last two seasons now where I just have notebooks that I sort of handwrite the little notes throughout the, the off season. I sorted out by teams and I just jot down point forms. And then this year, um, just because there was so much stuff on my mind, I decided to put it into just a giant document that turned into like 50,000 words of thoughts that I have about every team. But really focusing on new coaches, new coordinators, I put last year an emphasis on what really happens on the field, trying to understand it more. And not really to the extent that I'm bleeding my eyes out watching all 22 film and trying to be a film analyst with a clicker in a dark room. Um, but just just getting an understanding for where the matchups are in the field and how that translates into a number and then sort of differentiating what everyone is looking at on the field. So um, you guys kind of got to see into the notes and go through the document. It was um, just key players and, and just more so forward-looking statements. I find that a lot of previews are sort of looking back at what happened last year, but my emphasis is really to try to get an understanding what everyone's trying to do this year or or what they've done so far in camp and preseason. So yeah, yeah. kind of a long answer. Can't bet but on last just, year. Yeah, exactly. And the point and depends which preview you get, but a lot of the information out there is just it's more of a review than it is a preview in most cases. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's not necessarily the case in NFL. Strong agree on that part. And I honestly like that. The, the fact that some of the most well-known football information services uh, are more or less autopsies of what happened and why um, I, it kind of gives, in my opinion, at least it gives them blind spots in terms of being able to, you know, forward project what's going to happen. And, you know, I think, you know, it's pretty well documented that a lot of those information services don't do especially well handicapping teams. And, um, you know, so don't buy picks from them. But, uh, besides that, uh, it is interesting to see, uh, your, you know, inside your process, uh, actionable items, yeah. I guess. How, how did you, you know, how do you qualify that? Like, you know, what is, what, what is the line between noise and, and actionable information? It's, it's really difficult a lot of the times to, how do I put this? Um, it, it, like if your job is to sit in the room and review coach interviews or watch tape, you're going to see maybe certain players on the field have some sort of advantage or you're going to hear a coach say something and put a lot of weight into it. Um, and you may hear that that one team is going to go run heavy against this defense that's weak against the run and such. And you may really put that into a much bigger point of emphasis in your handicap. If, if, you're only looking at it from that side um, okay, and then if sure, you're only looking sure, at it from the from the betting side if that makes sense um yeah then if, if your only job is to look at the betting markets you may miss a lot of that so a lot of my actionable items are points that i think are important to the team like maybe they switched um a defensive scheme from a three four to a four three or the coordinators coming in to implement a new offense uh, and the action points I mean, a good example would be with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they're switching they did, they to the air both. raid offense. <laughs> yeah, it, perfect. Um, they're switching like to the air raid offense, which I think the market's going to view as this high efficiency passing attack. When in reality, it actually opens up the short pass a lot more. So, like, I'm more looking at at where are things going to get an overreaction more so than I am looking to try find like a a distinct edge because I think it's very difficult to put a number or a price on something small and intricate that probably seems a lot bigger if you're just watching from from like the film and and the analysis side if that makes sense so a lot of my action items are just trying to try to point out overreaction and underreaction points for each team i like that a ton yeah. it makes you think about you know what what you what a lot of what you during the season and even right now to this point is when you, you pivot all this research, you know, not, not to say, you know, like you said, with a not looking back, looking forward, all this forward looking stuff you're doing and then pivoting it 
and looking at the markets and exactly what you said with Arizona as far as if there will be overreactions and starting to dissect why there's going to be certain reactions to certain teams, especially early on, based on some of these narratives. And it just helps you to read the market. And that, that is what I enjoy about a lot of your content. It is so market heavy. And when you know why a certain, you know, a certain line total spread, whatever moves a certain way, it makes things so much easier. Like that's that's probably something we picked up not right yeah. away. It was like our second or third year that once yeah. we get into you know started getting a little heavier into the market stuff. So let's talk about the market stuff in a little more detail. Like I like I've done this long enough now. I've paid close enough attention. I've kind of reframed what's important when it comes to understanding uh, a game market over the course of the week. Um, <clears throat> I know you know an NFL market is just you know enormously liquid. It has a week to mature. It makes it one of the more difficult sports to handicap. It makes it ex- exceptionally difficult to wake up on Sunday morning and find winning bets. Um, what what would you, you know, number one, do you agree with all that? And number two, uh, these preseason markets, are we talking about the same sort of efficiency, the same sort of liquidity, or are these not as widely bet into uh, or kind of selectively bet into? Because you're talking about locking the bankroll for you know, six months. And, you know, I, I just, I'm, I, even now with, you know, a relatively solid, you know, kind of bankroll and, and, and kind of understanding of how all of this works, I'm still hesitant to really go heavy duty, even when I know I have plus EV wagers and I'm staring at them and I'm like, th- like, these are bad lines. I know it. I'm still a little hesitant to lock down, you know, bankroll over the course of six months here. Like, you know, what, what, what is your read on the preseason markets overall? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Like anecdotally, I don't think I've ever heard as much emphasis on betting either like preseason, regular season, win total markets, futures, division odds, uh, as well as betting the preseason itself. This year is by far the most I've ever heard about other people doing it with, with such aggression and interest. And I don't know if that's just because the small betting community that is Twitter is becoming more and more connected or it's more openly talked about in the States or whatever it is. But there is like the popularity of everything has gone through the roof this year. Uh, And the interest is significantly higher as well as the attention it's getting. For me, like looking at futures, the last future in terms of like Super Bowl winner, division winner, anything I placed, was on the Falcons in week oh, 16 uh, yeah. of that season <laughs> where I, I try to block out that Super Bowl loss they had. But that was that was the last time I bet into a futures market. This year, even at a sports book that is a very low margin one that I am quite close with, um, their market's priced to 122%. And it, you're not going to make a lot of money betting into 122% markets um, to put that in Comparison, maybe I kind of stumbled over that. Like, a, an, against the regular week two point spread, it'll be anywhere from two to four percent. Um, so, looking at just the futures for a Super Bowl division conference, you're looking at 20 to 21 percent. Uh, so, you can, like, just in that regard, it's very difficult to find the price that prevents any or presents any value. Um, and then, I mean, like you mentioned as well, to lock up a portion of your bankroll to make it worthwhile for six to eight months. In most cases, I can think of different strategies to use that money to make potentially <laughs> as much or more um, yes. that I would rather have in my pocket or in my account as well. So um, for me, for me, they're not markets I'm necessarily interested in. Um, I'm very high on a couple teams this preseason but I'd much rather find spots to bet them week to week than I would bet their regular season win total over just because if I'm doing it week to week, uh, God forbid a quarterback gets hurt. Like that never happens anymore. Um, <laughs> then I'm not, locked in. Yeah. I'm not locked into that price. Like I can adjust week to week. I think that having your feet set in stone for 16 weeks based in August when anything can happen is I, I struggle to find the value in that versus what's going to be available over the next 17 weeks in the regular season. Yeah, every last year, every and we found it. It adds it adds a bias. I mean, it, yeah. it adds a bias to one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it, all of a sudden you just you're looking and like, oh, I see value in this team, and it's like, oh, but they're against the team I have a season long future on. 
Like it, it, it does not matter what you do that creeps into your head, and it's the worst. It makes it really difficult. I have scaled back on that. I still do it. There's still futures I like. I'll still do it every year if I think I find value, but I do hate that um, that bias that creeps in. And then the other thing, well, you did a little math. You got on a kick that one day where you started doing this with all the markets. Which one was the highest, the worst, as far as hold that you found uh, that day? The MVP was 186%. So like MVP? Yeah, it was oh. 186%. And <laughs> while I was doing the math and watching it, someone bet Cam Newton and moved Cam Newton from 40 to 30 to 1, and none of the other numbers moved. So literally, they just threw up a bunch of crap, let people bet into it, shortened the numbers as they got action, and they ended up with this hold that was just phenomenally gross like 186 percent. like what the hell and you know because no, I, I started yeah, go ahead. no sorry to jump in and something else like you mentioned like it went 40 to 30 to 1 a lot of these markets are extremely bottom heavy i think people sure. often reverse um like if if i'm setting the prices for a futures market like mvp or the super bowl odds uh i don't have to like there's no rule saying that I have to distribute the margin or the whole percentage or however we're going to refer to it. There's no, there's nothing saying I have to distribute it equally between teams one and 32 or players one and 32. So there's a lot of time where maybe the top two or three options that are going to get a lot of the attention are actually priced quite closely to what they are. And then everything else just takes on a, a, a higher weighted margin as you get down to the bottom because I mean if you look at the bottom of a lot of these markets the Dolphins for example 125 to 1 to win the Super Bowl like their actual odds are significantly higher than that if yeah even within the realm and you'll see that a lot where there's just that favorite underdog bias that applies to all of those markets so like what you brought up with Cam Newton is spot on where you, you books don't have to adjust anything else within the market because there's so much margin priced into all of these that it's just beneficial for them to take volume and take the action. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you brought up on the win totals, the, uh, you know, quarterbacks get injured. That happens. It was crazy when I did the kind of dissected what happened with the win totals last year, just kind of as part of the ongoing study of, does it make any sense to lay juice on a win total? And, you know, spoiler alert, no, don't ever lay juice on any win total mm -hmm. ever because it's the uncertain, what you're paying for that, you know, what you're paying, in terms of uh, added added uh, win probability is not even anywhere close to what the reality is. But that's a discussion for a different day. In that in that study, though, it was crazy. Every single team that lost starts from their starting quarterback last year swept the board on their unders, uh, and it was like okay. Mm. So basically, like basically, if yeah, we, you we just got to figure idea, out who's going to get hurt, we just got to figure out which quarterbacks you get hurt, and just go <laughs> just go uh, to the extreme. Uh, in the all under market and, oh, wow. uh, and and swing away. So if you anyway. find out a way to model injuries, let me know. I'll be all over that. Well, that brings us directly to what I wanted. One of the actionable items I wanted to ask you about. We talked okay. about the, the NFC West yesterday. We talked about their, you know, what is kind of being a little underreported, which are two major changes to the offensive line for the Rams. New center, new guard, taking two veteran established. Um, cohesive pieces to your middle of your offensive line, center in particular, and then swapping them out for a completely unproven player. Uh, have what do you? What is your general thought on center uh, as we kind of stack up the various factors that need to be accounted for in the uh, in the um, you know actionable items category? Because like I, I'll just before getting off of that question real quick, like a new coach is obvious, like. The market's going to account for that, presumably. A new quarterback is obvious, but maybe you get into these some of these other positions and some of these other groups, and it's not so obvious. Does center kind of fall in that category? So traditionally, center, the value placed on them in terms of the point spread uh, has been second to the quarterback. And usually you're going to see uh, a price on the center anywhere from half a point up to, I remember the case with Nick Mangold when he was with the Jets. I mean, he was getting... Uh, two to two and a half points when he was out. So Whoa. some of the, some of the, Whoa. some of the elite centers, and that's, and, and I think that people will often mistake the, they'll they'll equate point spread adjustment to relative relative talent of the player, um, and that's not necessarily the case. Whether it's injuries or replacements or anything, you you always have to evaluate what that player impacts specifically within that 
that system, um, but then also what his backup looks like. And oftentimes you're not going to see a ton of depth at center throughout teams, especially like a team like the Rams who run such a zone-heavy blocking scheme where you need an athletic center in order to get out and command the line of scrimmage, but then also make sure everyone's lined up correctly and deal with all the pre-snap timing. So obviously a huge impact there, but you always have to equate what that player impacts within the system and then what the downgrade is to the guy behind them. And even if you're looking at like elite wide receivers, there's usually an option two, three, four that's going to step in. Uh, and even so with that, it's not like they're going to have an impact on every single play of the ball where the center can directly impact turnovers, directly impact penalties on however many offensive snaps they're going to have every single play. So the value put on them by influential money in the market is going to be a lot higher than a lot of people think uh, because the news and all the headlines are always going to focus on the big name players on offense and the superstars. So it, you're bang on with that saying that the center is quite undervalued when it comes to the point spread week to week. What was the center for the Raiders who no showed when he like went AWOL and went to the, uh, went to Tijuana for, for the Super Bowl <laughs> with the Bucks, cost them that Super Bowl pretty much. You remember that? Was that Barrett? Was that guy's name? Oh, damn it. I can't remember. Um, I anyway, uh, but yeah, that, 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 uh, that I, I like how he framed that though. Yeah, the, anyway, the replacement player. It, yeah. I, I hate, I hate how they say that on, uh, you know, the talking heads or whatever they say, you know, when, when they try to delve into some of the point spread stuff, what is Aaron Rodgers worth to the spread? And that's just part of the equation. Like Adam just said, it really, really depends on who's stepping in there because there's a big difference between a competent backup and, like, you know, a Nick Hunter. Sure. Like, that was Deshaun a huge Kaiser, move yeah. because, because of the huge – yeah, 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 Kaiser, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the, the huge drop-off. Yeah. You, yeah. you have to take – and then uh, well, another thing that got me thinking about is the – you know, we talk about quarterback center was uh, – obviously center's more important than I thought from yesterday's pod, Jesus, but uh, – <laughs> Positioned and, and just market influence by the public and just, uh, you know, the, the public's perception of this whole thing. It makes you wonder about some of these moves. If you go on the other end of that spectrum, let's say a starting running back sitting and, and you know, maybe the move shouldn't be as big as it's going to be because of the, the lesson. Obviously, we've seen that. Let's just the, the C.J. Anderson, Todd Gurley shit. I mean, apparently a backup running back does just as well behind a really, really solid offensive line. And there was probably, I, I don't have those market numbers in front of me, but I bet there's people that made mo bets just based on uh, Gurley's out and betting against the Rams. Oh, of course, for sure. No, and I mean, you look I'm at the sure running back with, with the Melvin Gordon news, the Chargers, their price to win the division didn't even move a, a single point. Um, <laughs> And then, but like Zeke in comparison, it moves significantly just because of how many touches he gets. And then again, looking at what happens to the backup and like, he's so much more, the Dallas Cowboys are so much more dependent on his performance than the Chargers who can move back to Eckler, um, who's going to be likely just efficient in the passing game where everything matters, where you take Zeke out of the equation and that hurts the Dallas Cowboys offense so much, uh, especially within that division that there's such a big impact. So it's, it's not like, it's it's the replacement coming in, and then it's also the impact of that system specifically. Gotcha. What about um, uh, what about some of the coaching uh, changes and and any any kind of general thoughts in in the way that the league is is uh, is shifting and kind of giving analytics more of a focus and kind of uh, understanding getting the kind of getting the point that uh, passing is really what matters and you know coverage is is important as much as pass rush like you know do you get a sense that that is is going to take hold or do you think that it is still kind of a have and have nots in terms of who gets it at this point so another anecdotal point on that is i've never seen so many coaches having practices dedicated to using headsets um that's something that i've seen with probably like seven or eight teams they've designated time in practice this year just using the headsets they weren't doing anything they were just relaying information through the headsets to the quarterback helmet because there's so many young coordinators that have been hired in the last 12 months that uh have no history calling plays there's a number of them throughout there's a number of first-time head coaches um and we saw it last year in the playoffs to an extent i was pretty anti jared goff on the podcast especially into the super bowl because 
it's well documented that a lot of his command at the line of scrimmage comes through the headset from McVay because these offenses, they're operating out of the same personnel. Like we're seeing a lot of 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. Um, but within that personnel package, which is becoming more popular, it prevent, it's the same look. But there's so many little audibles within the team of changing motion at the line of scrimmage, uh, changing the way tight ends block that that are required to um, keep the defense off, off balance. And so it's the NFL is moving much more than this. I call it the modern NFL offense on the podcast where you're looking at short, efficient passes, running backs, tight ends. I think that narrative has been beat to death, but we're starting to see it with a lot of organizations going to really young coordinators, trying to recreate something different um, or even new head coaches. But the thing coming in this preseason that's really stood out to me was how much emphasis these guys are putting on getting the play call in. So I'm not sure if that's going to mean more tempo or more struggles for offenses because, I mean, we saw what happened with the Rams when um, the Patriots kept running quarters defense on them in the Super Bowl and throwing Jarek off off and, and messing around with all their coverage on defense. Like, it was a trouble for him to deal with. So I think as things get more complex, um, that 15-second cutoff is going to become more and more important. And another area of focus that, I've touched on a lot of times in my preview document and everything is the strength of cover linebackers on teams. There's a lot of defensive ends that are getting paid a lot of money. Uh, but if you quietly look, there's a handful of teams who are really stocking up on cover linebackers and make just unusual acquisitions um, that they're adding onto the team. And then I, I, Darren Lee pops off the page for me going to Kansas City. Like I, I couldn't figure out why on earth he was getting shipped over to KC or what they wanted to do with him. You go and you look, he has one of the highest cover grades of any linebacker in the NFL. So when it comes to defending these running back passes, jamming tight ends at the line of scrimmage, controlling that middle of the field, which a lot of offenses are going to, there's a handful of teams now putting an emphasis on having linebackers that can cover. And I think that's going to be an underrated spot in handicapping this season and probably next season as well until these other teams adjust uh, just because so many of these offensive schemes are starting to look very similar and there's a lot of emphasis on the same thing. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on uh, when you're doing your handicapping week to week. Hmm. Very good. God, we did that the podcast for the, the draft a couple of years ago, and I don't even know if that made the cut, but you you. Hmm said linebacker wasn't very important anymore. And then, I mean, you convinced me of it. And I think <laughs> maybe you were still right. No, but I, I think you were probably right. But what probably you needed to say a little more nuance to it was the old style of linebacker that need to come up and help with the run. Those guys are going yeah, the to be less important in a defense. Yeah. Where the, the, the quick side-to-side -side linebackers, the coverage guys, because, I mean, it's what you need to jive with the, the kind of offense, the, the quick short passes. Yeah, yeah and you I need think to figure out who those guys name are. Of, well, the name of the position, I think, is being taken out of context. Because, like, we saw the Chargers essentially have three running or three linebackers on the field against the Ravens. But yeah. all three of those linebackers were really designated Safe. cornerbacks and yep. safeties and secondary players. So like that quarters defense that is becoming more and more popular to defend all of these schemes, uh, you don't really need like that prototypical linebacker that we all think of as this 285, 6'2", slow moving run stopper in the middle. They're now turning into smaller athletic guys. The Packers like have a couple. Hybrid safeties. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's going to become a really important position um, this year. And there's like teams you wouldn't expect to, to be strong in this position have a number of them. Like the Titans really stand out. They got three great cover linebackers and you, oh, you wouldn't think of them having it. But um, like it's interesting in that regard. And how much impact it'll have really depends on the offense that lines up because ultimately the defensive coverage will dictate the front that they run. Uh, up at the line of scrimmage, and it's going to require the offense to play into them. So it's from a handicapping perspective, it's a real balance between knowing what the offense is going to do and then taking advantage of those defenses that can defend it really well. But you think that in general, if you can kind of diagnose this on the front end, 
what's the what is plan a for both of these teams that that can be weaved into finding an edge on the on the opening line or even on, on the closing line potentially because i don't know anyone that's doing that specifically in the handicap I, well, I think with every handicap in every nfl game even if you're not betting it you should work it down to team a will want to do x on offense team b will do y to defend that on offense and do it for both sides even if you're not betting the game but just so you know, like that's a lot of what I've been focusing on is just making work efficient. And I've got a couple methods on on how to do that that people found very useful. But a lot of people, they'll see 16 games and they'll wheedle down the card to three of them. And they'll forget about the other 13 and they'll just play themselves out. And that's that. But if you start sort of tracking stuff like this week by week, a couple weeks into the season, you're going to have a very good idea of what certain teams are wanting to do on offense and then how different teams will defend them. And that's where eventually the advantage will come in is when you get the crossover between one team that's doing something extreme and another team that can or cannot defend it. That kind of changes our whole Sunday podcast. Like I'm, I'm writing stuff down here <laughs> because that's, uh, you know, and I think we're, we were getting close to that, but that was, that was a big useful part is, what we did on our Sunday night podcast. A lot of it was, you know, looking at the lines as they pop for the next week. But as we rehash certain things, looking at what teams were doing, trying to do or failing to do during the week, that was shaping a lot of what we were looking for as far as the, the forward look into the next week. Hopefully yeah, I guess the, the only thing better at I, that. I, I like that approach that you laid out there a lot though. The only kind of caution that I would have is not to get tripped up into oh if if this team does this they are going to have success and assuming that yes. the coaching staff will figure that out because by and large like a lot of these coaches are who they are a lot of these teams are who they are and even if like oh wow would you look at this when this team is going up against you know when this team runs you know 21 personnel they're incredible and this team doesn't happen to cover that very well. Therefore, this coach is going to change and run more 21 personnel and be successful in this game. Like that, that never really ma- tends to manifest. Um, at, right. Do you know Assuming what I'm Assuming a coach is smart. That's never good. <laughs> no, and they never do it because we do this all the time. Like they, they oh, should. For sure. This is what like, they should oh, do. Look, you get so mad at a week, Right. Like this team has a weak link. They should attack that. And like it's like just because you can identify that sort of thing, like oh look at this mismatch that exists. If they attack that, they're going to do great, right? Like uh, you kind of have to oh, let the coaches it, kind of tell you who they are at the same time as you are identifying those sort of things. I think, except for Belichick, so I mean, it, it, it all got mashed together <laughs> early in the week. Yeah, but it was like the playoff, the playoff game plans we just talked about, like Seattle yeah. against Dallas. Like it, yeah. it was clear to everybody what they should do, and yet they didn't. Yes. Yeah. We're just going to keep Dallas running against it. the Rams. Yeah. Rams against so the yeah, Dallas against against the Rams. Rams. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. You yeah, go ahead. Let me take a stab at connecting all of this. Cause okay, go ahead. Um, <laughs> la- so last year when I was, I, I wrote a book about NFL and it turned into like a giant storybook of myself and I hated it. So I didn't publish it <laughs> and I rewrote it and I was like, I was going to say, I didn't read it. Numbers. It's like, wow. I, yeah. I missed that. I, I was go like, I've got to back this up with numbers. And no, and it turned into like a really dry, sharp sports betting 2009 revisited. And I was like, well, this is terrible too. And so like I'm stuck in the middle because the hardest part to explain about betting on the NFL is why it's important to understand what's happening on the field and how and what's important to put into your pricing and how to price an NFL game. And there's a lot of people that are very good at watching and understanding what's going on on the field that are terrible bettors and then there's a lot of bettors who are very good at making money betting nfl that have no idea what's going on on the field and it's not a it's not like a prerequisite to have one or the other in order to have success so it's like i've been trying to explain my handicapping process and because it's it's so experience based and i'm so used to seeing the situations what i think is super simple and intuitive that I'm like, that matters. That's going to affect the number. I'm going to make this game 62%, 38 instead of 60, 40. And it changes from two and a half to three. Like just trying to explain that is very difficult. But so what I've started recommending people to do just to sort of bridge the gap between everything is on the Wednesday, the week prior during the season, when the look ahead lines come out, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so if it's Wednesday of week, uh, Wednesday of week two, the prices will be out for week three on that day. So if you write down the two teams and the look ahead price, and you can do this on paper, spreadsheet, whatever, and you can put five columns, one for stats, one for analysis, one for information, one for situations, and then one for recreational narratives, right? So you have five columns. And then for each game, depending how much time you have, maybe you have an hour a night between Wednesday and Sunday. Well, you go through each game, you spend half an hour on each, and you just try put in, um, for example, for stats, put in yards per play or points per drive or whatever it be might be that are important stats that influential betters will look towards. And you just put in the difference between the two teams in that column and circle anything that stands out. For analysis, you can pull up like the pro football grades. You can pull up um, any on-field review. There's tons of videos on YouTube, whatever it might be. List one or two advantages that stand out. Maybe a team has a great set of receivers that's going up against the poor secondary. You put it in there. Any info like player injuries, players that are questionable might be expected to do it. Roto World, wherever you go for your injuries. Put anything important in there. Um, situations. You guys have the great situational chart you posted. Teams playing three row games in a row, short travel, long rest, coming off a bye, whatever it might be, right? Anything that's important in there. And then recreational narrative. What do you hear on the news? Uh, what's the most popular thing? Is this team being talked about? Is this team not? And if you have, if you have all five columns filled out to your best of your ability and you do everything before Sunday the week prior, you're going to have the look-ahead price you're going to have the reopening price. And if there's any difference, you can circle it and you can say, why did that happen? And you have five different viewpoints of what different betters or different better types will look at. I talked about how you don't have to be great at watching the game and you don't have to be great at betting to have success. But by doing this, you'll have a brief insight into what five different types of betters will look at. And if yeah. a look ahead line is minus three and it reopens pick them, then you can go back and be like, well, this team performed well today. They won by 20 points. There's a lot of stats in their favors, and there's a lot of uh, analysis on field that supports them as well. So those, ten those groups tend to be more influential than the recreational narrative. Good performance plus a lot of favorable numbers in stats and analysis, that's probably who's betting this game and why it matters. And then all of a sudden you start to understand the market. But as you do this week after week, it gets week eight, nine, ten in the season. You're going to be able to anticipate where those oh, lines yeah. move. And you're yeah. going to be able to look at the market as a whole and sort of evaluate what type of better sees what info and what actually moves the numbers on a week-to-week -week basis and what matters. So that's sort of what I've tried to explain because I don't think that there's one way to make money in a league that's so driven by recreational money and just the volume of money is so high. There's not, it's not like college basketball and Andy picking off all these smaller conferences <laughs> week after week where you run a projection, you have the price and you take it or you're doing golf or you're doing tennis and you're running Sims to find win probability. This is very much about evaluating what else is going on and finding out what matters. So like every game yeah. is a bit of a problem solving experiment to come to the right price. And doing something like this is a super simple way to not only understand that range of, of people who are betting into the market, but then also make your work effective and not waste all the time you're watching NFL Network or sitting at the computer and, and put, put an importance on what you do. I hope that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, black box yeah. model is just never going to fly with NFL betting. Maybe some derivative if you could find something really wild. Oh, yeah, sure, but, sure, sure, sure. I mean, you, that's, where, that's where limits are low. That uh, that does make me laugh, though. That's yep. it, You almost need, like, a maybe a, maybe a few classes in psychology. Well, no, what you're explaining, what, what you're, you're approach, learn about the market here. Your, your approach was extremely well thought out there, and I appreciate you sharing that with us because I, 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 you know, I, I effectively that we were doing more or less the same thing without the structure last year, and it had a phenomenal success because down the stretch we knew what lines were going to go when, when to get on, when to wait. You know, it was all very straightforward, and it was, it was, it was uh, lucrative. It, you know, I, I, I w I'm hopeful to have the same sort of success this year, following a similar similar strategy. Maybe we formalize it even. The um, but what you're effectively doing, which is I think so smart, is 
you know, what, like, why is a pinnacle closing line efficient, right? Like, why does it have value to know where the closing line is relative to the opener? It goes back to wisdom of the crowds. It goes back to, okay, that line reflects, pinnacle knows who bet into what. They have, they're effectively looking at 10,000 models instead of just one, right? And everybody does things a little bit differently. Pinnacle knows exactly how to weight everyone's opinion because they have a track record of success or, or, or otherwise. And so they are they are sharpening it based on everyone who's doing a different way. And so if you can kind of simulate that in a, in a smaller scale, then you're going to have a uh, a great track record of being able to uh, predict which way the line is going to move. So that, that makes total sense to me, to- total sense. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll, we'll take, uh, take some steps forward doing some of the same sort of stuff this year. Yeah, I got, a, I got a lot of ideas spinning around in my yeah, head right now. Same, I'm sure you same, do same, too. Same. Like that's well, all, let me, that's all let that's me happening do, right, right let's, now. Let's do a hard pivot and so, and, and kind of think about this more and let it mature a little more before we say stupid stuff. <laughs> I want to ask you, you brought up earlier in the conversation, you know, like there's more popularity than ever on win totals and futures and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's true. Like the, like the din is un, you cannot miss it. You know, if you care about sports, if you are into the coverage of sports, you undoubtedly have heard people have conversations about win totals this year when you may not have otherwise. How does the it's the fault of us? Well, not people like us. You know, but well, we started doing no, and anyone who does any sort of coverage, we yeah, we wanted to hear that sort of thing, and we figured out well, if we start talking about it, then maybe other people want to hear it too. So like like this is you know we're this was obvious market you know um, you know opportunity, but anyway the. What I was getting at is just in general the popularity of sports betting and in general the popularity of NFL betting coming into the season. You know, how do you capture a potential shift or change in the marketplace of betters? Do you think there even will be one? Well, the limits are going to be lower for those of you in the states. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. I don't have. Um, I. I don't have an, an answer specifically to that. I think that we're going to see how it, to what extent it will have an impact um i think i think two things are important to consider when you're when you're thinking about this um the betting let's call it the betting world so every, every sports better in the united states if you were to ask anyone like how big that population is it's so much bigger than anyone's estimate that we'll never know um, sure. if everything becomes legalized. So there's so much going on. So to think that like a lot of people coming in that have never placed a sports bet before in their life because they were concerned that it was illegal, um, now entering the market space and it's going to be this flood of money, I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to be the case. Um, just because I think a lot of people, if they were going to place a bet, they're already gambling in some form or another. Um, I think if things were to get consolidated into a number of different sports books, I mean, right now there's so many people that will be playing in with the local markets because of credit, or they're going to be still having their money offshore. Um, One of the things I've noticed in my time working both sides of the industry is getting a better to change where he bets sports especially if he's been paid consistently is one of the most difficult things to do. Um, sports betters. It's like like banking. Yeah. It's sports betters. are so much creatures of habits, even more so than like slots players in terms of like their dedication to where they play. Um, so when it comes to that perspective, like even with all these different shops opening up, um, from my experience talking with people, they like the fact that it's legal, but it's not like they're stopping playing where they already have just because it now is legal a uh, 20-minute drive away from them. Um, so until things are really consolidated into one marketplace where everyone's playing and there's not so many different segments of it, I'm not sure the impact is going to be uh, felt nearly as much. Um, I think the same people are still, or the same sports books are still going to dictate the market uh, and I think everything's going to move towards that. The forecasting error, as it is in NFL, is already so minimal on the closing line across the board um, in terms of comparing the opening price to where it closes and what the actual result of the game is, that um, it's it's difficult to think that people who haven't placed a bet before are going to enter the market and all of a sudden throw that off to the point where there's value. I think it's just a, a treat it the same for now until there's some consolidation 
amongst all the other books to this point where a lot of people are playing into the exact same marketplace. What if we just focus on the very top tier of betters though? Is that pool getting bigger? Are the, the, are the most influential betters, are there more of them? Are they getting sharper? Like how is that going to influence the market? I I haven't felt it yet in terms of looking at the prices. I think that things are getting a little bit quicker. Um, and I don't know if that's like in my experience over the past season, at least um, like numbers didn't last as long. I don't know if that's because there's more like influential money betters coming into the market and, and taking those prices or it's just people getting smarter overall. And, and I think there's a line between someone who's just improving versus someone who's sort of taking that next step and, and entering the market that they haven't been in before. Um, sure. So the education, the, the, like the base education level is getting higher for a certain extent of the population. But I still think that the number of people who are betting into these NFL markets that have no idea what they're doing um, is still enormous. <laughs> <laughs> in in relation to sure. in relation to the small percent of the population as well. Okay, I got you. Okay, well let's wrap up with one last question. I'll throw you a quick curveball here. Uh, didn't sure. prep you for this. Um, That's fine. No prep on this one. Can you give me two teams Lighten that the market down. is just completely whiffing on right now in terms of pricing? Packers, easy, 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 easy. I think they're going to be. I think I think they can win the Super Bowl. Um, oh. I think oh. I think they're by far. By far the most underpriced team in the NFL. That's not even close. Um, I think their def I think their defense is enormously disrespected. Uh, the second year under Petten, what he's done, especially with his draft picks and bringing in some personnel. Um, of course, of course, you love a Jets guy. <laughs> everyone, everyone, <laughs> no, but everyone freaked out about some of the changes. But what he's brought in is a. Uh, what I was getting to with the linebackers, like a complete focus on speed, coverage, sure. and pressure. So I don't think the Packers are going to generate a lot yeah, of sacks. They a lot of safeties. Oh, they have so much speed and so much athleticism. I love Smith. I love Gary. Um, Preston Smith as well. Fantastic. Yes. Like their defense is absolutely loaded. And you don't think about the Packers in their defense. From their offense, I love the fact when I turn on NFL Network every night that they're speculating between interview clips of Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers as to what the extent of their relationship is and sort of painting it in a bad light. What I think people don't remember is if you're looking for like that prototypical offensive-minded coach that's sort of like the, the default cookie-cutter template for like let's hire this coach in 2019 – um, based on his history, not counting his time in Tennessee, which I'll get to in a second, but based on his history, LaFleur coached under Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay. That's so a good lineage. <laughs> his, his playbook, like what he wants to do at his core, is what the modern NFL yeah. is. And, it, and it, works, yep. 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 it works so well with Aaron Rodgers, but it's disguised by what he did in Tennessee, which was limited by ownership number one but then also Mariota and his arm issue that he was having there was nerve issues um but i think before henry broke out tennessee threw the ball on 60 percent of plays but if you ask a lot of betters they're going to see tennessee was one of the most run heavy teams and that was really weighted to the last four weeks um also his his audible verbiage is very much in line with what rogers likes to do the big issue between them was the actual word choice they were using but what the audibles do and how they move players around at the line of scrimmage, which is something Rodgers is very good at, like the concept level between him and LaFleur, right on line as well. And then they've got the best red zone target, Devontae Adams. Uh, they got running back depth that they can get a little bit healthy after some some injuries in camp. But I think the Packers can win the Super Bowl. Um, easily, easily the most underpriced team in the NFL, and I don't think it's close but i probably i don't know why i already have my interest in him so i can say it on the podcast i'm not worried about the price but um easily the most underpriced team in the nfl in my opinion well, their schedule is front loaded with easy competition so if you like them you need to get them now preseason yes. because they could yep. be four they could be four and one they could be five and oh and everyone and their mother will be running to the window to bet that team yeah, and the, and the Bears game to start the season sort of the ticker because they could easily go 0-1 and, and they'll lose that division game and their price will jump up. Um, if they win that game, it's a huge swing point 
based huge. on that yeah. one opening game, primetime game to start the season. Um, so that's going to swing significantly. You wanted another team that was underpriced. It doesn't have to be um, underpriced. Just, just, poor, just, just incorrectly priced. Yeah, mispriced. Maybe pick somebody on the other end of the spectrum. Somebody. Yeah, like, 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 yeah, like, like Andy, like Andy would say, you gave us the team you're bearish on in the Packers. Yeah, give us the team you're bullish on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll switch up the animals. <laughs> I need, I, was, re- I need redemption on that one. <laughs> I was still crack. I was thinking about coming on the show and I was cracking up about that <laughs> a while ago. Um, one other underpriced I won't dive into. Love. The Buccaneers. Um, we'll okay. see what happens with Vita Vet, but I love the Bucks. Um, overpriced. Let's sit on this one for a second. I was I shit on a lot of teams in my preview. I think it's a lot easier <laughs> to find um, underpriced. Overpriced. Um, I will. I will probably be fading the New Orleans Saints a lot more than other team oh, other people um, in the market. Um, I like. What I'm you're anti. Yep, I'm I'm anti Saints, um, anti Rams to an extent. Maybe not because of the reasons everyone thinks. Um, which just sort of everyone just points to like regression. Same thing happens with the Chiefs. Like, wow, they did so good last year. They're not going to do it again. Um, I think that the Rams' offensive line, as we kind of got to earlier, is like that's an enormous issue, especially considering how Goff deals with pressure. Um, yeah. But moving away, moving away from the Saints, I think that. Um, the lack of depth on offense can hurt. I think that Breeze was able to very well disguise his very noticeable drop in arm strength throughout the course of last season. How about um, three the loss of Ingram? <laughs> well, yeah, especially, yep, you're, it's been very noticeable. Um, schedule gets a lot more difficult. They lost Ingram, so that means Kamara's going to become the focus guy for the first time in his career. Um, certainly I'll go as Andy would say, I'd be very bullish on the saints. Um, but I'll be looking the, I'll be looking the, I'll, I'll be fading the saints a lot more than. Yeah. 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 It could get bad for them. Um, all right, well, let's wrap it up here. Um, thanks. This has as, been uh, yeah, a pleasure. As always, yes. As, as always, uh, your, your, your undefeated streak of uh, guest appearances on the big, on the deep dive is intact. Uh, another fantastic spot. Uh, thank you for your time. Be sure to check out Adam on Twitter, where you'll find nonstop gems uh, and uh, the simple handicap. Make it part of your daily routine. 10, 15 minutes in the morning, what's going on in the market is going to be uh, change the way you think about the NFL this regular season. And I don't have that's, yeah, that, just that's, two po- you just Everybody needs two podcasts in their life. Yeah. And and if you don't agree at the end of the season, if you're like, you said I was going to get something out of that and you didn't, well, then I'll, I will refund you all everything that you paid for that podcast. Um, so with that, let's wrap it up. Adam, best of luck this season. Keep up the good work. Thank, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Love what you do. And I, I will continue supporting you guys as well throughout this season. Uh, highly recommend the listen as well. You're in my favorites on the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, buddy. And, uh, and you know, Jets AFC East title? A little too early to hey now. Hey now. A little too early to start. Yeah. He is clicking. Adam Gase is drinking. Adam Gase is drinking eight cups of coffee a day and neglecting his wife. Uh, he left her. Did you read that article about him leaving her <laughs> unstitched on the operating table yes, after I the did. baby? That's, yes, I did. That is the dedication we need and love in New York uh, as okay. Jets fans. So uh, let's bring it on. AFC All right. title. All right, let's watch the Jets Giants preseason. Have a great rest of your week and uh, keep up the great work and uh, best of luck. Thanks, guys.